Are you okay with the hand mic? Is that, I've got that scripture up there when you need it. Thank you. Yeah. Great. Thank you for your welcome. It's a delight to be with you and to be worshipping together, declaring there is no other name like Jesus. It's wonderful. Even as uh, Tony shared there about guarding our hearts from crusting over. On Friday I was praying over somebody and just felt that prophetic word, you know, guard your heart. It is the wellspring of life and how to keep that openness, that freshness to God's spirit. It's wonderful, wonderful. So the uh, first thing I need to say to you is that Pam, as I'm going to the last one, make sure you say to them all, give them my love. So in fact, if you'd met Pam coming in today, she would have been the first to say, love you. You know, she, she's very fond of you all. So she particularly sends her love to you and it's great to be with you. And also greetings from all at Woodlands, Woodlands Group of Churches. And it's great to have Waterbrook as one of those kind of associated churches linked with. And, uh, and as Tony said, personally, it's a, a privilege to Pray, we pray for you every day. And there are some of you here we pray by name every day for and feel that part of that covering care is one of support, encouragement, and particularly of that sense of a partnership in prayer in the gospel. So it's a delight to do that. And it's a special joy to see a few new faces here today. Always see them and great to see Phil and all the family. My, it goes back a few years, these good folks. And, and uh, so great to see them settled among you here. And... Um, and you've uh, given me a, a subject today to speak on, particularly of building Bristol as a city of hope. So I was especially delighted to see you actually got the title emblazoned on the front fence. Look at that. Hey, that's <laughs> wonderful. In fact, I hope somebody's taken a few photographs to put up on Facebook. I think there's a kind of facility to be able to do that, just to be able to see around the city different churches and places that are, are using that. So I'm particularly going to speak a little about um, building Bristol as a city of hope. But the whole theme of hope is so close to my heart. So we're going to take as a scripture this morning just these words from uh, Romans chapter 15 and verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound. So we're going to keep that verse up as a little reminder as we go through. Hope is such a key to our lives. Father, we pray now that you'd come by your spirit. Lord, we pray for that fresh sense of your grace among us, Lord. We realize that faith is a substance of things hoped for. Help us, Lord, in a world that feels so hopeless at times, so helpless. Even here this morning, Lord, we may have been through difficulties this week or these past months and some situation in our life we almost given up hope on, Lord. Quicken hope today. Help us a sense that you are the God of hope. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This verse has been particularly significant for Pam and I over the years. And I'm sure I shared a little before because um, for Pam, she was diagnosed some years ago with, with breast cancer and eventually had to go through a mastectomy and all the challenges of it. And I can remember when we were in the midst of it all and coming up here to Frenchie, just up the road, in fact, coming along today, remind me, up the road to Frenchie Hospital. And, uh, uh, and it was a particular day when we were due to get some really significant results and uh, we were been praying about it in the morning and uh, this that morning in our daily reading was our scripture may the god of hope fill you with all joy and peace you trust in him you may overflow with hope by the power of the holy spirit that's the niv version and uh, so we're, we're on our way out to the door and um there's a, a postcard that comes, or at least a, a card that comes, and as we open this envelope with a card, and it's someone just uh, saying they're praying for us, and just felt the scripture for you, and sure enough, 
May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. And you know when God sometimes affirms and then reaffirms and, and then we're on our way up to French and we pass a church, you know, sometimes they have those big texts, almost illuminated texts outside and yes, yes it is. Romans 15 verse 30, may the God of hope. And so this scripture has kind of been a prophetic word to us of a kind of promise of God. At times when, you know, lots of uncertainty and confusion about all that was happening and yet the God of hope filling you with all joy and peace you trust in him you will overflow with hope and so that word has been not just significant to us personally but we felt over recent years God increasingly bringing it as a prophetic word for the city for Bristol to sense what it means to be building Bristol as a city of hope and uh I just want to share a little bit of that, how that story has unfolded, and it goes back a long time because it's not unusual for God to speak into the life of a city and even to be giving a, a name to a city like that because in the Old Testament you have these examples of where they were all called cities of refuge, and God called them cities of refuge. There were three on one side of the Jordan, three on the other side, and these were places that Pope went to for justice when maybe there's a lynch mob after them, but they, they would go to a city of refuge and they would find refuge in it. So it must be nearly 40 years ago now we felt God stirring here in the city that as a prophetic word and some of you may have been around long enough to remember that when God really stirring that Bristol would be a city of refuge and lots of things were happening at that time that really stirred that so it was 40 years ago this year that in fact there was a terrible refugee crisis much more than even we've seen across Europe and even some of those tragic pictures of a little boy's body on the shores of the Mediterranean where trying to cross the Mediterranean and, and, and those hundreds of refugees trying to do that but in fact, 40 years ago, there was even a greater crisis. It wasn't just hundreds, thousands. It was just over two million. And this was the Vietnamese crisis and the Vietnamese war. And they became known as the boat people, the Vietnamese boat people. There were literally tens of thousands that were set to sea on flimsy crafts like the Mediterranean. It was much more vicious than the Mediterranean. This was the China Sea. And thousands of bodies on the shores of those. But there wasn't social media in those days to show it. In fact, it hardly hit the media for a while. And then eventually the BBC carried under the world news a really uh, significant coverage of it. That particular day, 40 years ago this year, we were sat having tea as the BBC News came on. And in fact, we were, tells you, 40 years ago, so our children were just young. They've now, they now got their own children now. They're just young, and we're watching this news. And as we see it, this desperate picture of so many families where they'd lost parents, just children on these flimsy crafts, and some were never going to make it. And, and I can remember our children saying to us at that time, Dad, we've got to do something about it, Dad. We, we ought to send our tea to them. So we, I think it was fish fingers and chips or something that we were having at the time. We ought to send this to them, Dad, because they're starving out there. And I said, but it's not as easy as to do it. It's a long way away. By the time this food got to them, it'd be stale. But they wouldn't take no for an answer. And, you know, sometimes with children, there's something very wonderful. About, you know, as adults, we acclimatize into a kind of armchair Christianity that can watch a news tragedy but we can't do anything about it and so we just watch it and off it goes but children sometimes there's that sense in which when they see they respond to it and there's a, a kind of sense that we, we've got to do something about it and there's a sense of hope that sometimes we can acclimatize into our world to a, a settled almost helplessness about what's happening we almost become cynical about it so when I said to them, you know, it's a long way away and we couldn't send the food, their immediate answer was, well, Dad, we'll invite them to us then for tea. You know, and, and again, I, I'm explaining to them, it's, it, it's a long way from to come. And anyway, even if they could come, they'd have to get special permission to be able to come in and the government wouldn't let them in necessarily. And, and we had a prime minister at that time with a big handbag who certainly may not let them in, as it were. And, uh, but the children would still take no for an answer. So 
we're finishing tea now and it's getting on for bedtime. And the last thing is we're finishing tea, they say, well, Dad, why don't you write to the Prime Minister then and ask her if they can come in? Well, thankfully it was bedtime and we were having prayers. And it was my time turn to do prayers with the children. We always had a, a simple things we'd do with the children for prayers every night. We, one of the things we'd do is something to say thank you for, something to say sorry for, something to say please for. There was a long list of pleases. There was a squeeze out a few thank yous, but saying sorry was trying to find... But this night, they were full of it. As soon as we started praying, oh, sorry, oh God, for all those children there, and that no one can help them, and they're sorry, oh God, they're going through such different... Thank you, God, for our food here tonight. And please help Dad tonight when he writes to the Prime Minister. <laughs> amen. Now, when I said amen, I knew I was, <laughs> I was committed. You know? Well, what was I going to write? So, and as they go to sleep, this was when I just closed it. Dad, we'll post it on our way to school in the morning. <laughs> So I start penning my letter to your Prime Minister. You know, we've watched this program about the Vietnamese and our children were so stirred by it. They, they really were hoping there was some way they could help and uh, wondered if there's any way they could be of support to the refugees. I wasn't even sure who to send it to. So I put 10 Downing Street on the envelope and in the morning they were waiting as they woke up to get the letter and they posted it on their way to school. But here's something about hope, particularly that childlike trust. See, faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. And sometimes we can get cynical in our world and we get disappointed, discouraged because we haven't seen... Pre- Before long, we lose that sense of hope. But in a child, sometimes that unadulterated way. And so every night they prayed, every night. Prayed for those poor boat people, children, as it were, and that the prime minister would make a way for them to be able to come. And uh, we didn't know quite how to explain to them. It didn't quite happen as easy as that. And, you know, these things take a lot of agreement by palm and all the other sort of things. But no, they just kept on praying. Uh, weeks went by. In fact, two months went by. Then a letter came. And sure enough, from Downing Street, Dear Mr. Scott Cook, thank you for your letter and for your concern. We've made a note of your concern for the refugees. But we're sorry to say that the UK government has no plans to be able to receive any of the refugees at this stage. But we'll keep your letter on file in case needed in the future. Now, we thought that was the end of it. And we explained to the children, because we didn't want to end up sort of being disappointed in their faith crush. But, you know, it's difficult for these things to happen. but, But they just didn't take no for an answer. So that night as they prayed, oh God, please change the, the Prime Minister's mind on this. Oh God, please help her to change her mind. Now, as I say, it was a particular Prime Minister at the time who was quite strident in her views. Changing her mind was not easy. In fact, she was not a lady for turning, she said. So, in fact, when it came to this, it was very difficult to imagine any kind of change, etc. But we didn't explain all that to the children. We just sort of tried to help to wean them off that expectation a little bit. But every day they prayed. Every day. More than two months now, we're getting on for three months. But another letter came, this time from the Foreign Office. Dear Mr. Scott Cook, the Prime Minister, Mrs. Thatcher, has just visited Hong Kong and in fact has just agreed with the Hong Kong government to take the first 10,000 refugees from the Vietnamese crisis into the UK. As yours is a letter that we've had explaining it, we need to find some resettlement groups around the country that would receive them. Would Bristol be willing to be the first city in the country? And the children there whooping around the room, you know, so excited about it all. We're thinking, oh, my. <laughs> and, and they're almost looking at us with disbelief. But, Dad, you know, God answers prayer. <laughs> and sure enough, 
we received here into the city, the first of those refugees. It became the first city in the country, in fact, to set up. It was those days it wasn't called Bristol, it was called Avon. So it was the Avon Vietnamese Resettlement Group and uh, eventually received a hundred of these refugees and the whole resettled them. We set the first of them in Southmead and it was a really challenging exercise. Bricks through the window, a first week, etc. But, but it was this exp- for the children, it was something amazing. When that first coach arrived and they... They got off that coach, their black bags, and they had just a few belongings. But the children had saved up their pocket money just to buy their first things. And even helping them to learn English, they didn't know it. And uh, one of the first children we had was a Down syndrome child. And just to be able to help those parents. And But something stirred at that time in the city. The city was really stirred by what was happening across the city. It's one of those amazing experiences of churches from all different denominations shared in it. became part of that resettlement program right the way across the city. Every church right the way from the Salvation Army to the Catholic Church, every church across the city, different ones shared in it. And it became a kind of prophetic word that Bristol was being a city of refuge. In fact, it was the beginning of a whole range of mercy ministries across. Is where we began in those next years, the Crisis Center Ministries, 125 Project, the whole network counting, all those began at that time. And they were new ventures because up until that time, most of those kind of mercy care ministries did, were done denominationally, often through a chaplaincy and sort of thing. But this was churches right the way across the board working together. And it's part of that sense of a kind of prophetic word that was stirring a, a new sense of unity across the city. And so in these last... Nearly three years now, we've been sensing God stirring that word about a city of hope and what that would mean. And then it was amazing to see um, God in his goodness and his way. We have a a Christian mayor, Marvin Rees, and that's opened up a whole opportunity of what it means to be a city of hope. And so some of those things have been now to be able to work with the city office on some of those. One of the first things was that uh, promised that no primary school child would start the day hungry. That's a big promise. And it's amazing as churches to engage with the city and say, as churches, we'll be committed to make that happen. And so we did a survey with two interns, researchers did it, and looked at all the schools across Bristol to see where the greatest needs were, where the highest number of free school meals were, where the biggest number of need children, etc. And then working together with local churches in those areas and through the food banks and what's called fair share, the whole range. Because also we had a, a kind of food poverty sort of exercise going on to be able to see it. And that's been great to see that all unfolding. There's lots of ways across the city already that it's been engaging, as it were, with the city in being a city of hope. Even for the most needy child who often has little by way of aspiration, what is it to be able to stir opportunity and aspiration? What is it to be able to give those opportunities, even with regard to the whole area of housing, which is one of the great needs? And so I think some of you are involved with those homeless shelter projects, the Christmas ones. So the churches did them for a month, um, Christmas before last, in the city centre, as it were. And then last this, this year did it for three months and now are developing a project right the way across the city, homeless. But it's also not just street homelessness, but the whole area of social housing and needs. So there's been some amazing developments in that. Some of you may have seen it. it hit the national press just a few months ago. So it was the first headline was first in the UK. Uh, uh, this is a housing development that was here in Bristol. And it was the first, it says, where, um, what was it called? Socially responsible 
investment together with local authority and housing association working together to provide housing. So again, some of the folks from Woody's, this is Ed Robry, has set up this uh, quite a big fund. It's called the Bath and Bristol Development Fund. That's 161 houses just beginning to get built now in Southmead, next to the community church there, of which 80 of those would be social housing. And the whole exercise of sensing how we... Some of you may have seen now the housing festival. That's the Bristol Housing Festival, BHF, down in the city centre. Just got launched recently. And it's kind of sense how we... How we as church engaging with our society make a difference? Even the whole thing of hope where we were really sensing it's about hope for all. Hope for all. Not just even for the most needy of homeless or for the most needy child, but hope for all. How do we develop aspiration? How we encourage that? So we've seen that interesting thing across the city in these last two years developed with the kind of entrepreneurs. And so Bristol now is first in Europe, second in the world. In fact, just two months ago, was declared first in the world as far as startups linked with university sponsorship, etc. That's UW up the road here, and you see, and so we have a big group of those. So we have a, a what's called a Woody's IQ in, IT incubator, and we have maybe thirty of those now, or some of those key ones linked with those entrepreneurs. Start. We have a thing called Meshup that meets every month, brings together those entrepreneurs to be able to look at startups that can shape the life of our city. So it's us as church wanting to engage in building Bristol as a city of hope. Hope is one of the greatest gifts you can give to a child growing up. And yet, sadly, we live in a world where there's so much hopelessness and helplessness. Some folks start life with such limited opportunity. Some of you may know the story, and this, this scripture again speaks of the God of hope filling you with all joy and peace so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Some of you may know the story of Helen Keller. This is many years ago now. So Helen Keller, before her second birthday, uh, became ill, seriously ill. You could have treated it today, but not in her day. There wasn't the treatments for it then. And so just before her second birthday, she went blind and she went deaf before her second birthday, before she'd even perceived a world around her, understood anything of that world around her, completely cut off from it. Not just sometimes you have somebody who's blind but can still um, hear, as it were, or somebody who can hear, but, but to be without sight or hearing. And many folk felt what, what possible hope was for this little child in a world she was growing up in which she could hardly perceive it, leave alone. What a start to life, what a sense of hopelessness. But Helen Keller had a teacher an amazing young woman who was a keen Christian. And she committed her life to help Helen as she grew up. She eventually taught her Braille, so through Braille she could at least through feel begin to understand. And then she developed almost a, her own language with her through, through touch and feel. And she eventually could almost communicate stories to her uh, and understand a bit of the world around her. And, but she longed to be able to share with her her faith. Your faith is an amazing thing. It's like a sixth sense. You know, we have our five natural senses, two of which Helen had lost. That's hearing and seeing, or smelling, or tasting, or touching, by which we perceive a world around us. But faith is a capacity to perceive a spiritual realm where his spirit witnesses our spirit. We can sense a realm of existence beyond what you could feel, or touch, or smell, or taste. It's like as if God, who is spirit, has given to us a capacity to perceive God. And it's by faith that we know God. And so this teacher 
this young teacher. It was Christmas. And even for Helen, not able to see or able to hear, yet she could feel there was excitement in the air as Christmas was going on. And and this teacher was longing to be able to share with her. And so she set about communicating to her the Christmas story. It was through Braille, through Just Touch, but she, she communicated to her that there was a God who had sent his son into the world. And how he's born as a baby in a manger. She was telling, just what well, I say, telling not through words, but just communicating to her. And she got to that point where she just then communicated to her in her own unique way those amazing truth that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And then she said, or didn't say, but communicated to her, and his name, as we sung, his name was Jesus. And the moment she said that or communicated to her through touch, there was a moment of silence, of quiet, as this blind, not able to hear young woman growing up, and suddenly she whispered to her teacher, I always knew he was there, but I never knew his name. That day, something stirred in Helen. An experience of faith beyond being able to see or hear, beyond natural capacities. In her spirit, she was born again of the Spirit of God. And something so amazing stirred in her that she had a sense of hope and faith that eventually was to change our world. She was the first person ever in the world to get a Bachelor of Arts degree without sight or hearing. She set about a sense that she felt God had given her a calling And she was so inspiring, she toured the world. People who were disabled, people who were blind, felt suddenly blessed because they could hear. And people who couldn't hear felt blessed because they could see. And she touched thousands of lives around the world. The end of her life, there was a journalist who was trying to communicate with the help of a teacher. And communicating this question, what could be worse than to be born blind? And Helen Keller immediately communicated through her teacher to them. It'd be worse than to have no sight, would it be to have no vision or no hope. No hope. There are many people in our world who can see and hear, but have no hope. There's something about hope. You know, when the Bible describes a world without God, it could describe, you know, there's a world without God, and without, but it says, Ephesians 2, to be without God and without hope in the world. It's something about hope. See, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Without hope, it's difficult to experience that release of God's power in prayer. Many times folk have come to me sometimes for prayer, and they've shared a situation, and, and their words they've shared a really desperate situation and said, you know, I've just lost hope for it now. And I said, Really? then it's going to be a real challenge to pray with you. My prayer first is that God will quicken hope because faith is a substance of things hoped for. If there is no hope, there's nothing to substantiate then to pray into. So, so we need to sense God quickening, a sense of hope again that God could change this circumstance. So when we pray into it, faith can be the substance of things hoped for. There's something about hope that can make such a difference to our lives. And it's not me just trying to self-generate hope God is the God of hope. He's the God of hope. And he can fill us with all joy and peace as we trust in him so that we can overflow with hope. 
So it's not just that we feel more hopeful, but we're bringers of hope. That's why we want to be building a city of hope. How can we as the church in this city be carriers of hope? How can we prophetically be people who are speaking into a world where there's so much sense of helpless and hopeless? And it's not just in those practical ways was helping the homeless or helping uh, with regard to housing or but it's always wanting to bring with that a sense of wholeness that good news of the Lord Jesus the hope of glory last year at community church in Southmead we were running a, a single parents fair it's a special fair you do each year it's been an amazing experience on a Saturday morning and invite all the single parents Southmead has one of the highest rates of single parents in in the country at uh, in the city and uh, um so they were they were queuing up down um, down Greystoke Avenue and Greystoke Avenue to come into Greenway Centre which is where it was having on and there were uh, I think uh, 175 single parents that's male and female that were came in it was a, a special do they the, the whole of the community centre which is where the church meets on a Sunday they'll be meeting there now this morning but on a Saturday morning They'd racked it out, a bigger hall than this, with racks of second-hand clothing, all free. They all had special goodie bags with cupcakes they were taking away. There was loads of things, and all the people were saying is they're crewing to come in. But I can't believe this is free. Who's putting it on? But to be able to say this is the church. We want to bring hope to our community. It was amazing. They could have their hair done, their nails done. There were even three professional photographers from the church who were taking photographs of folk who'd never ever had a family photo because they're single parents. And, and this was them with their children having their photographs taken. And what we did with the photographs, this is not just your instant cameras, this is the real thing, you know, where they get developed and that. And so they, they couldn't take those away with them. So what they did was they would come back, not the next day, that was a bit quick. They'd come back the Sunday afterwards. And in the community hall where the church would be meeting, there were tables set out at the back with coffee, and this is where they would come and collect their photos. Well, the church service was going on. I was there the following Sunday again to speak that particular Sunday. And uh, as I finished speaking, I really felt the Spirit of God at work that Sunday morning. And, you know, it's amazing when you sense God bringing to birth that new life in Jesus. Anyway, there was a, a lady towards the back that I hadn't seen before. And afterwards, I, I just went up and said, hi. I said, are you new to church? She said, yes, she said. Uh, she said, I, I've come this morning because I came to the single parents fair. She said, I couldn't believe it, she said. She said, but last Sunday, I collected my photos at the back of church. And there was a service going on here. She said, I haven't been to church for years, she said, because I was brought up in a very strict religious family, she said. And I determined when I was a young girl, I said to my mum when I was really young, when I'm old enough, mum, I will never, ever go to church again. I hated it. And when I got old enough, I said to my mum, mum, and she knew I was real about it. I, genuinely, I said, I will never go. And she said, I've never, ever been to church since that day, she said. And I hate even the thought of going to church. She said, but this week, having been last Sunday and glimpsed something of church like I'd never seen it before, she said, all week I was doing the ironing and thinking, I think I'd like to go to church, she said. I passed the gate here, she said, during the week on my way to shop. And I thought, I think I'd like to go to church. I never, ever in my life ever thought I'd want to go to church, she said. But I came this morning, she said. And brought my kids. He brought her kids, the right boy. When they'd gone off to Sunday school, it was over all the chairs. They climbed over, etc. And I'm sat now towards the back, and Sunday school is just coming out. And already they're on their way over the chairs. You know, towards now, thankfully, one of the parents saw us talking together, and I think must have done a distraction, looked after them. I'm just sat on this chair talking to her. I said, Well, and this morning, did it mean? Oh, she said, It meant so much to me, she said. She said, I want to do what you explained about, she said. I said, What's that? She said, I want to become a follower of Jesus. I said, really? I said, that's wonderful, I said, but let me explain to you a little of what that means. And so I um, 
I'd have pulled out of my back pocket. I hope I still got just I've used a few of these this week. It's been wonderful this week to see several folk become Christians. And so it's a little why Jesus I said, you know, this is a little book that just explains how to take that step of following Jesus. And she was so full of it in a sense, you know, my life is messed up. She said, I don't think I could become a Christian. She said, because, you know, if you knew my life, I said, but, you know, that's the wonderful thing. That's the first step is just being willing to admit <laughs> we failed. And that that selfishness and pride that's so much a part of what separates us from God. She nodded. I didn't need any persuading of her. She knew that was it. And I said, but here's the amazing truth that Jesus, when he died on the cross, he made it possible for us to be forgiven and set free. He said, but how, she said. I said, because when he sacrificed his life for us, he took our sins in his own body. But what do I need to do? She used to almost ask her all the questions. I said, we need to open our life to him to ask him by faith to come into our life, willing to turn from all that we know is wrong and believing that he's able to forgive us and set us free. He said, but how do I do that? I said, well, often it's helpful just to express it in a simple prayer. And in the back of this little booklet, I said, is a simple prayer. Here it is. I said, let me just read it to you. I won't pray at this moment because you can take it away with you. And I said, uh, oh God, I'm sorry for all the things I've done wrong in my life. I now turn from all that I know is wrong. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. It's a prayer that we can pray wherever we are. Thank you. You offer me the gift of your Holy Spirit to bring forgiveness and to set me free. I now receive that gift by faith. I said to you, you know, if this really means something special to you today, you could take this with you. I'll leave this with you and you could make that your prayer. Oh, she said, can I, can I pray it now? I said, well, it's a big step. This is the rest of your life. She said, no, that's what I want to do. I said, okay. So we sat there together and just simply prayed. And it was wonderful. Even as she prayed, I often sensed that, you know, this, this week I've shared with a number of folk who've become Christians and just that sense where you can sense the Holy Spirit bringing to birth that new life. Since then, it's been wonderful to baptize her. Since then, it's been wonderful to see her bringing along three of her neighbors <laughs> But it's something about, there was that practical reaching out to that single parent's fair that touched her. Just people that cared for her, people that accepted, people who were willing to reach out to her that then drew her in, as it were, and then to be able to hear that good news of Jesus and that fertile soil. How does that hope overflow toward around us? God of hope filling us with all joy and peace we trust in him so we overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This week, I can guarantee you'll meet somebody who's feeling hopeless. Now, you may be full of hope. The question is how much of your hope will overflow into their life? What does it mean? Well, it's not just us trying to find the words to say. You say, well, I don't know. No, it's by the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. It's just being open to. It's just saying, Lord, Lord, we want to build a city of hope where your people are constantly overflowing with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to pray that for us this morning. Oh God, we thank you that you are the God of hope. Thank you, Lord, for those times in our lives where we felt hopeless and helpless. You've just breathed your spirit into our lives and brought hope. For any of us this morning, Lord, where that 
situations around us have drained us of that hope or we've lost a sense of purpose or we're feeling we're struggling in our life and maybe even we've become cynical as to whether you really could answer our prayers. Lord, like those children who never gave up, kept praying, kept trusting, teach us to pray, Lord. Teach us to reach out to you as that God of hope. Even here this morning, even here now, Lord, a situation in our life at this moment, not just in our life, but someone close to us, someone around us, in our family, in our work, in our neighbor, Lord. Lord, help us to bring them to you today, to sense that hope overflowing by the power of your Spirit. Lord, build this city as a city of hope, and may we be carriers of that hope in Jesus' name.